0: I can
1: hear them. Oh, we have pigeons. (laughs)
0: They've
1: always been there. They've
0: always been there. Background voice. I'm just going to shut this door. They're giving their rhythm.
1: This podcast series leverages the beauty and richness of culture, diversity, and highlights the many stories that make up Western Sydney. We want to break through the stereotypes of what it means to be Australian and celebrate the strengths and uniqueness of our vibrant, thriving community. This is Same Same Different. This is us in Sydney. Share your journey, tell your story, speak your mind, find your voice.
0: Hey Lucy, how are you?
1: Good,
2: thanks, how are you today?
0: I'm great, thank you so much for sharing your story with us.
2: Thank you for um, allowing me the opportunity.
0: It's uh, our pleasure. I really don't know how to and where to start the story, but it's your story, I'll just leave it up to you to take us through the journey.
2: So my connection started within the Western Sydney suburbs. So my father was a migrant who came to Sydney in 1956. He was actually here on his own because his wife said my mother's visa was put on hold for unknown reasons. So they were actually married together for six months. The husband comes to a new country. They're apart for four years. So and then after four years, you know, finding out different scenarios and so forth, mum was able to join dad. And dad had actually purchased at this time. He, My dad... Is a hard working italian background European man okay. he just kept started off living with his pet with his sisters with his siblings, and then moved on from one job to another as a blue collar worker laborer until he found a work that was going to fulfill his dreams and be able to sustain life in Australia for his family
0: that 's great
2: so i 'm actually born in Australia, so mum and dad came here, so I have an older brother and very much aware of the Italian culture and the hardships of migrants coming Mm -hmm. over to another country, having their nationalities, bringing their customs over. Mm but then been faced with no support, because back in the 50s and 60s, there was no support as there is nowadays. And like people say, different nationalities too, like a lot of the Europeans didn't come with all the casework that and support that is available these days. Yeah. But it's also, you know, you turn around and say, well, we learn from those mistakes and to help society and community in settling into another country.
0: Yeah, as we speak of the difficulty that migrants have used to have, but still even now, because I'm a refugee myself, I came from Afghanistan and uh, I came almost two years ago, and I do understand the difficulties that uh, people go through, especially the language.
2: They didn't have access to learning the language, so they would only learn key words. Yeah. So you'd have a lot of Europeans going out, door knocking on places, saying job. Mm -hmm. job and all they knew was yes or no and if (laughs) someone someone diverted around from that and said come back tomorrow they'd be going job yes (laughs) no so they didn't know the language so that's that shows you like the barriers where they did and there was no transport so they kept trying to earn a bit of money to have you know it was back in shillings and so forth so they would be riding a bicycle. So my mm-hmm. father, so I'm not sure if you're knowing the area, so Elizabeth Drive has got that steep hill, be up and down that with a bicycle, say going from Green Valley area to Moorbank on a daily basis and that's what they had to do because there was no transport, no car, they couldn't afford a car, mm-hmm. so it was all by bike or foot.
0: When I came here, actually my friend gave it to me, a bicycle, and that's my thing, going into the train with the bicycle and then has had to use the bicycle to the to the my to my destination that i was supposed to go and uh, when i started here uh, my study i went to normal schools they didn't accept me because i was over 18. fortunately we had the another school which is a senior college and Mm -hmm. i went there they accepted me and that's really good i just wanted to study high school and then go to uni so there are enough supports here now the first year was difficult for uh, because of the language, and the second year, which is year 12, I'm doing now, I'm finishing it. It got a bit more comfortable and easier.
2: Which is really great to see and acknowledge where society has come today too. because you have people coming out, people don't realise what is involved going from one country to another, where you don't know cultural um, activities, languages, money language you know you don't know anything about the new culture that you're about to step into so even as an example even through the health system so like when my mum was pregnant your husband wasn't allowed in the room with you they were given a buzzer so she was in labor but they would just take the buzzer off her Mm -hmm. so there was no support in that my mum actually gave birth to my brother and then they tried to put a baby female onto her to breastfeed (laughs) And But she couldn't advocate. So if you can sort of just see as a barrier for parents, even mothers coming out into the countries and that too, where they know they've had a baby boy and they've tried to give her a baby girl. But then on the other hand too is once they got through their hurdles and so forth too, once dad was able to get himself enough to put a deposit down, he actually bought land around Green Valley area you know started off with one room and built on and as they do you know would have had an outside toilet laundry and so forth and but the house just kept building on as he went along.
0: As you said you were born, you were born here and uh, mm-hmm. were you born in the western suburbs?
2: I was actually born in Camberdown Hospital due to as I just said the battles and barriers that mum had within the local hospital. Mm-hmm. So my parents actually decided, no, we're going into another hospital who, where we hopefully don't face those barriers. But that was only for birth, but other, otherwise grew up within this area. So I grew up around the Liverpool area. Yeah. Went Started off school at Liverpool Public School, kindergarten, so from Liverpool Public School to Mount Pritchard, public school too so I was within the public system within that schooling which was also hard too having parents who couldn't speak the language there's no support and not knowing a language when you do start school because you don't your parents are only speaking to you in their language mm-hmm. going through those school years too was hard where you've got European parents who are very overprotective. so in my whole entire school life I did not go to one school excursion I've actually lived my excursion days through my kids now,
0: <laughs> so
2: I never, I never had the opportunity of going to a school excursion because parents just wouldn't allow it because of their cultural backgrounds and that too. Um, so once the language has come through and all that too, so I actually through the schooling years became at an early age advocate and interpreter for my parents.
0: Which is really good like uh, sometimes. Even uh, today, I see some uh, some of my uh, friends. They their parents don't speak the English, but their kids is there like everything the guide there. Wherever they go, the kids they speak for them, and the because it's difficult for the parents to learn a new language, and for whatever reason, but it's difficult for them. But the kids they learn it so fast.
2: And then you have still, even though with that, so you've got the migrants too, where they are just consistently going to areas or shops where they know there's someone there that will speak their language, which doesn't help. So we used to try and push them to, you know, introducing to friends that were of a different nationality. So then it would help with both. So we had German friends as an example. So Mm -hmm. they had to communicate in English. Yeah, exactly. So that's how they picked up their language skills.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's uh, it's not only about the language. It's uh, it builds up their network also. Yeah, you make friends and you make network. So, what's your connection with the Western Sydney? How do you see Western Sydney? Like, uh,
2: it's place of birth, my origin. Um, my husband's same Italian background, but born in Australia. But he's been within the Liverpool Fairfield area all his life too. So therefore you know settling even as a married person now and with my kids we've settled stayed in our area
0: mm-hmm. and uh, right now I can see that you're such a dedicated person and uh, but if you go back to your childhood Did you always have this kind of feeling that you will go into this field, into this kind of jobs?
2: As a child, I didn't know which field I was going to go into. Once I hit high school, still not knowing what area I was going to go to. Um, When I grew up, there was not many people. University was very rare doing HSC was very rare. So Mm -hmm. minimal people even did their HSC. So once I did leave school, in year 10, I was, it was just by chance, um, a sales clerk job came along. It was two, three days before I left school, wanted me to start straight away, you know, and I said, hey, I've got to get my certificate, you know, at least start on Monday. So once you start, you know, you start getting money into your pocket and I thought, no, I'm not going back to school. But then as education, Even though I didn't do that, once I was married and so forth, my education came actually after in my later years as a mature adult. Yeah. Within the Europeans too, a lot of females didn't go on to do a uni-type, a university degree and things. Very minimal. Very minimal um, Europeans did they go on to do teaching. But pretty much everyone was becoming a housewife, hairdresser and so forth, which is wasn't on my agenda but even as a teenager and growing up again that protectiveness of the Europeans was always there my mum actually went overseas quite a few times and she would say how things were so easy going overseas and so forth and I'd be right, like, right okay come on I'm going out going night no way you're sitting down <laughs> so it's like that strictness never stopped oh, the really strictness never stopped so yeah, so where you have the youth of today, they probably wouldn't realize mm-hmm. what strict, you know.
0: I really didn't know about this. That it's a really interesting point for me to see. Even like, I I used to think it's only the, like uh, the Middle Eastern countries, like uh, Afghanistan. Although Afghanistan is not part of like Middle East, but it's uh, the culture is almost like Middle Eastern, mm-hmm. and uh, I used to think that it's only us who are very strict, the parents are very strict with their kids. No. And it's a very interesting point <laughs> you were saying that your parents were, like, strict too, like, no, no clubbing and everything, just go in one direction.
2: That's it. Even to the point, my husband at the time approached my dad saying that he was, you know, wanted to go out with me, so I'm a 25-year-old person working, independent, strong-minded, <laughs> and it was still, you're not going out to the movies by yourself today, tomorrow, in six months. Forget it. So... And still, at the age of 25, I was still not allowed out anywhere. I was never out to sort of have someone introduce me to someone, so I was mm-hmm. lucky in that, didn't have an arranged marriage. I actually met my husband overseas with my mum. So mum, I went actually back to Italy went at the age of 23 to see where I grew up and so forth, so get some heritage to see yeah. where my roots were and all that stuff too. So then we did a tour around Europe. I was actually with my mother and my husband was actually with his father doing the same sort of thing just getting to know the country and then we became friends came back to australia coincidentally we lived six kilometers away looked at the same travel agent and that's it <laughs> so met in rome fell in love
0: <laughs> yeah so you're as you say that your husband is also from an italian background right that's right yeah and uh, was he born here or in yes, italy born here. okay which makes it easy for you because he speaks english like Yes, well. yes. Yeah, yeah. It's so difficult because if you don't s- speak the same language.
2: But even though he was Italian, you still have your barriers in, your, in that marriage too, in the cultures, because it's like my family were from, say, around Sicily, south part of Italy, whereas mm-hmm. his family were up in north, around Turin or in Italy. So completely different. You've still got barriers within your own culture.
0: As our podcast... It's all about same, Mm -hmm. same, different. To me, as I interpret it, different cultures are like different flowers. And we all live in a flower garden and different cultures have different colors, different smells. It's so beautiful to have different uh, people in here and uh, see their cultures. Yeah. So beautiful. Let's go to your time at the MRC, as you said, you used to work here. How did you start and how long did you work here? And uh, tell us about the time, that so your worked, experience of working here.
2: So I worked with the Migrant Resource Centre from knowing some of the managers that were here at the time. So I also used to work in, I worked in community services for a while, Working at prior to MRC was also another community organisation where we used to do a lot of networking between the organisations, so knowing different managers, so I knew staff from MRC at the time too. Um, so I st- actually started working where I'd sort of brought the career down a bit too within the children's services, more more along the lines of an administration role and then also started working with the CEO at the time who asked me if I would... Um, join the CCP program and then once my heart and passion was still in working with people with a disability and I'll go through the disability section in this moment mm-hmm. and that was the reason why leaving MRC I remember at the time the CEO was like okay, three reasons what you like three reasons why you're leaving and it was don't have a disability section, don't have a disability section don't have a disability section so Yes. That was the reason why leaving at the time. There was no other reasoning. And I had started working within the NDIS field at that stage. From that, I'm now actually an NDIS-accredited provider providing disability supports.
0: And uh, what made you really go into this field?
2: I actually have a son born with a disability, an unknown mm-hmm. syndrome, so I call it Alex syndrome, because we don't know what he does have. There is, it's an intellectual disability. So he has turned my whole life around. He has actually been the person responsible for putting me into community services because prior to that I was actually uh, life insurance, working within the insurance industry. As having a child with a disability, there was no services available at the time, no supports available. So I have an older son as well. So my older son could play soccer. Well, why couldn't the younger son play soccer? Mm -hmm. There were no teams around. I was actually within the area. I actually, ha- and I have been doing it now for about 14 years, set up the first inaugural program within the Liverpool-Fairfield area oh. of having soccer for children with a disability, with a special needs. And that's still going to this day. And that's with the SNAP. So SNAP stands for Special Needs Ability Programme Providers. So I'm the co-founder of that with another person. That was developed in two bringing in inclusion with multicultural and disability and all different diversities, because disability, diversity in that as well. There's also within multicultural, there's a lot of different attitudes and stigmas and things around people with a disability where they weren't getting any support by coming into a program where they are actually doing soccer and gross motor skills. We also do gross motor school programs. They were able to have an opportunity to do something, but not only that, the families then became networks. Okay, so then you also had your networks of your families finding out information, your networks of your families within their own cultures as well.
0: That's so great to hear you, that you're so passionate about it. In my opinion, if a person goes uh, through a uh, experience, and uh, they see that there is not enough support in that field or in that situation, and uh, you tend to stand out, stand up, and do something about it, so yeah, which is really good that you're trying to help people with disability. With disability,
2: and that's where you've also got to bring in the same, same, and you're different as well. Is because yeah, yeah. even within. You've got to remember too, like I said, um, some nationalities, they will shy away from people with a disability. It's not out there, so we're trying to bring in an inclusion, bringing in an awareness with that, even within those cultures. So I've also done groups specific around specific cultures.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you have any challenges uh, when starting this, this job?
2: There's always challenges. Being a mother of a child, you're an advocate, but being a mother of a child with additional needs, special needs, disability, you will advocate to the day you died for for that person because Mm -hmm. you were always there. You also have, whether I know this might be sound selfish, but people do say where you have parents saying that they actually would like to die before their child with a disability. And that's, people need to be open and non-judgmental about that. And that is so that they know that their child... Going into youth and adulthood has been taken care of because it is an unknown fear of what happens afterwards.
0: Well, yeah, and uh, where do you see this going to? Do you see, that, will you be working at this uh, field till the rest of your life?
2: Yes, most definitely. It's within communities, it's not just within disabilities, it's within communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so like I said, so. If I go do it a quick timeline, going back from having a parent where I didn't even believe in um, education as well too. Mm-hmm. So in my 30s, my dad was like saying, what are you studying for? Wanting to wait until you're 50. But then once I studied and got different accolades, they were very proud. They didn't... People... So coming from a different background too, they didn't... They grew up where they didn't know how to show emotions. Their way of showing emotions was talking about, the, um, oh, we heard so-and-so and doing things and, you know, and how good it is by, you know, what you're doing and, and things like that. All where they're talking to other people to promote, to say, oh, you know, my, I know that there's a soccer program as an example.
0: Yeah, you know? I totally understand it. And sometimes uh, uh, the parents try to, like the old parents, used to try to compare their kids with other kids, but not comparing is not good at all your child might be doing something which is not successful right now but in a few years it will be so successful and you will be proud of them but just give them some time and support
2: the parents do always support and that too but parents yes there's there are jobs now that never existed 10 years ago Um, yeah i.e marketing never existed 10 years ago what was a marketing job what was a job where you had to have a look at a facebook that you only take care of media that sort of jobs didn't exist Mm -hmm. so there are jobs now that you know in 10 years time you could be in a job where that you know never existed prior you know that's that evolving thing too i've spoken to people with the just with the you know when you're talking the same too and having a two different languages and you'll probably still do it yourself it's like and i say to people what language are you actually thinking when you think in your head do you think in australian or are you thinking in your cultural background and that's where people sort of like you've got to think of that too and say if i was thinking in italian but then i've got to translate it before it comes out of my mouth so that to make sure it comes out in english so there's things that people don't aren't aware of, you know, That's whether that's a barrier or anything, but that is also an achievement where someone does speak dual languages and, you know, having that thought process and translating that back.
0: Yeah, and uh, to relate to this point, I work at the swimming pool also as a uh, customer service officer and sometimes we have to make some announcements like, uh, okay, the pool is closing in. 10 minutes and the other uh, the other workers, the other staff who are, were born here, they just go there and they they say it but in my case, I have to wait like 5 minutes, make it in my mind, like what I, what I have to say because it's not my first language, English is not That's my correct. first language and uh, I have to prepare it practice it and then go in front of the mic and say it, which is yeah, kind of like related to your sign. point
2: yep. yeah.
0: so What does community mean to you?
2: Community is about inclusion, being together as one. Mm -hmm. Whether you're the same, again, going back to our journeys, you know, the sharing, you know, the same type journeys and inclusion.
0: And like, what can we do as a society to make our communities stronger and more inclusive?
2: Inclusion can also just be treating everyone the same, can also just be treating anyone. Whether you're the diversity or the is a disability, a different language, race, whatever religion, whatever it is, it's treating everyone the same and with everyone yeah. with the same dignity and respect. Inclusion comes from just accepting and being non judgmental. I actually was nominated by one of the local members of parliament. Mm -hmm. a few years ago for woman of the west award so within that there was i didn't realize the intents of that it actually stems from i think it's around bankstown penrith campbelltown barrel up to the mountains so the area that it actually covered so within that there were so i came i got a distinction in that within the second third from that um, nomination. That nomination was from a member of parliament. Yeah. So that accolade was received because of the non-judgmental and the person that nominated me actually spoke about myself have been non-judgmental, bringing communities together. At the time I was working in a dual role. I was working as a community development project officer within mm-hmm. the Western area. So working within the low socioeconomic area too. So that shows a lot of the diversity, the inclusion and my passion to doing that. I was also at the same time as working as community development project officer, working as a community liaison officer with kids with disability, but that particular school that I was at had 97% of its families of CALD background. Oh. So I was so the diversity of the multiculturalism has always been there, within wherever I've worked.
0: Yeah. Yes. And you learn from it a lot also because every culture has something good in it, like which is. You can bring it in, uh, use it in your personal life.
2: That's right. Yes.
0: Especially like different dishes.
2: That's that's exactly, and even with the soccer, like we just had a soccer presentation, but at our presentation we call it the multicultural type dishes, and everyone's bringing in there something to do with. You know, what, well, from their cultural in that.
0: You know. Yeah. And speaking of soccer, which is, I, I would like to call it football. How did you find your passion in football?
2: It wasn't a matter of me having a passion in it. It was thrown upon me by my son wanting to play <laughs> soccer. And I, like I said, no other soccer programs. I couldn't let him play in a mainstream program because they wouldn't accept him. I had to actually develop a gross motor skill program because he couldn't kick a ball till he was about six years old. Yeah. Which happened by him kicking a soft foam ball in the lounge room and breaking my wing mirror, window, sorry. <laughs> but that's how he learnt to kick a ball. So that's how the strengths come. And remember, I've come from a background, European background, where we didn't do sport. My parents taught me how to swim. We went, I went to swimming lessons and that was it. I never did any soccer or netball or dancing or anything, any after-school activities. That wasn't heard of. <laughs> so to have a son who is just football, sport, fanatic for anything, there is no alarm clock on him. He's, this is a person with an intellectual disability who will get up 2 o'clock in the morning to watch any program, any sports program. He will follow... The schools. He knows the scores. So he not only plays soccer, he also plays football, so he plays rugby. Very much of a sportsmanship and athletic, which has been great too because that is also within, you know, different diversities, bringing in your sportsmanship, your networking, your communication, um, you know, your friendships. So it yeah. brings in a lot of great... Um, it brings in a lot of enhancements, brings in a lot of qualities out of the kids, you know? yeah, All does, these guys want to do is just dress up in a football uniform just like anyone else and score their goals and so forth. So my son will turn around saying that, how undefeated he was and take his <laughs> shirt off when he scores and constantly, you know, as a result too, it's been through, we have a football gala day where there's it's about 300 participants come. Uh,
0: play it's so interesting having all these going on like your actual job and other things extracurricular things going on with it how does it fit in your timetable
2: nothing fits in my timetable I'm lucky if I go to bed at three o'clock in
0: the morning
2: <laughs> so, so I've had to learn new schools of, of, of having my own business um timetables you've got family you've got I've got the added addition of having the person with a disability you've got the added addition of taking care of elderly parents from a diverse background where they don't they never took care of their parents because they were overseas yeah so I'm actually I call myself the me my husband call ourselves the meat in the sandwich because we've got the elderly parents not knowing you know how it is to you know what it's like to take care of an elderly person and then I've got you know taking care of younger children but in addition taking care of a, a son with a disability so I am that meat in the sandwich and at the same time my passion has been to work with people with a disability and in, with diverse communities I think one of the ones where I can actually quote on to is when I worked at a special needs school Mm -hmm. My last day there was just high-fiving every child, like 80 children, and I had tears in my eyes, but I never knew until that day that was my passion. I knew where I belonged. The reasoning why I also set myself up now as an organisation in helping people with disability and also within this area is because you've got a lot of cowed community not understanding the disability sector. Um, Setting myself up is I would like to teach people the tools and to be an advocate for them on how to manoeuvre the system.
0: And it's really good feeling, when Once you find your that your passion, that what you want to do, and uh, it gives you a good feeling to be in that field. And uh, speaking of the high five with the kids, I would share my experience. I I sometimes teach the the kids swimming also in the swimming pool because I'm a swimming teacher also, and. Uh, like around six or five or seven or eight years old kids. And uh, every time they do the skills that I teach them, they do it properly, I would try to do a high five with them to make them like motivated and just make them, make the class a bit more interesting. And the feeling that when they high five back, it's so good. Like, like gives you such a, even motivates you more to be a better teacher and teach them like in a more motivated way. And uh, yeah, it's really good. So well, I'd like work to put something to you and
2: poach you. Okay, let's go on. Do your program in learning to do doing swimming for kids with special needs.
0: Yeah, we just and we'll we, can, and work set up. we, we can, can work on that. We can work on that later. We can chat, have a chat about it and uh, yeah, start some some program.
2: That's it. And Snap is willing to put on any program. So yeah, it's like yeah. I say to people, and out there is like you tell me the program, I'll set it up. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I would just ask, uh, ask you about do you have any advice for, the, for those people who want to explore their passions who want to find their passion and, uh, because it's difficult to know what you want to do and uh, as you have found your way what you want to do and you're already working on it and just give an advice for the rest of us who still don't know what we want to do and still are looking for To explore our passions.
2: Your passion comes from doing something that you enjoy, something that's going to give you fulfilment. Everyone has a passion in different things. My passion was seeing, even though it's not an easy job that I do when I'm advocating to or having to strive to get the best possible outcomes for people, Mm -hmm. but it's the satisfaction of knowing that that person now has access to whatever the... It can be, it could be. So they've got, now got access to a wheelchair or my son having now access to be able to play, seeing the smiles and that too. So everyone has their personal thing of why, personal reason of why they're doing a different passion.
0: Speaking of uh, things that you want to find about your passion, I'm really passionate about the podcast and everything. Same, same, different means that different cultures different people coming from different backgrounds. And uh, as I say that every culture represents a different flower. Cultures represent different colours of flowers and we all end up in a flower garden, which is so beautiful. And uh, we all should love each other because every flower is lovely and every culture is so lovely.
2: So the same, same, different to me in Australia embraces cultural and diversity. Cultural and diversity is all, everything together. It is talking about inclusion, non-judgmental, being accepted regardless of any background that you have, whether it is a disability, whether it is different beliefs, it is, we are all here together as one.
0: Wow. Thank you so much, Lucy, for taking the time to come here and uh, appreciate you for coming here and sharing your story with us because from any story, we can learn something. And uh, if it motivates someone and can teach someone, so why not do it? And thank you so much once again.
2: Thank you very much for giving me the time. Thank you. I
0: appreciate it. It's our pleasure. <laughs>
1: To find out more, visit wsmrc.org.au forward slash S-A-M-E. Hey Harty, did you know that this podcast is actually funded by the Multicultural New South Wales? No, I did not know but did you know I just found out (laughs) did you also know that Audio Technica has funded much of this podcast as well no I did not thank you so much for letting me know yes and thank you Audio Technica and Multicultural New South Wales for helping us bring the stories of the West and Sydney to the world